right, uh, while we uh, bring some furniture out so we can sit down for our panel, wanted to kind of give you some uh, information about how it's going to work. We uh, decided as a staff that we wanted to talk about stuff Christians do. And there's other fancy words for these kind of things. You might call these habits of the Christian life. Another word that tends to make people not get real motivated is disciplines. These are things that we do on purpose, intentionally, with a plan and a goal in mind as a, a way of expressing our devotion and affection and worship towards God. And there's a lot of different things we could talk about in terms of what are habits or disciplines uh, that Christians engage in as a part of their relationship with Jesus. But what I did with the staff who are uh, joining me on the platform this morning is I let them decide what they uh, wanted to talk about. And uh, so I'm going to introduce everybody. I know you know who they are, but uh, they're topics of discussion. They're going to have me uh, sit. See, I see how it is. Actually, I'm grateful they have a chair on the stage for me. I mean, surprised I'm not in some back room. And uh, so uh, I'll introduce them and, and the topics they're covering. But I want to explain to you how you can participate. So each of the uh, folks are going to discuss a little bit about their topic, give us a little bit of an idea of, of what they think and what the Scripture teaches about their particular topic in terms of habits and disciplines of the Christian life. And then the rest of us as panelists will engage with them in, in conversation on that to kind of develop those ideas and share some of our own thoughts on that. And then also we would be interested in hearing from you, your comments or questions on the various topics we're discussing. So as you can see on the screen, there's a phone number that you can text. It's 541-630-3029. So at any time you can text your comment or question to that phone number. Kylie Joe's up front, wave. Uh, she's panelist five, manning the text. So uh, she will get those questions and, and she'll be summarizing them and sending them to me on the platform. So if your question doesn't get brought before the panel, that's on Kylie Joe. She didn't. <laughs> You know, she's the screener. You've got to get past Kylie Joe. So if you want your question read, you should start your question with, I volunteer to work in the nursery. <laughs> or Starbucks gift card is in the mail. Okay, got it. Uh, so uh, let me introduce uh, the panelists. We have Todd, pastor of student, student ministries here at um, FBC uh, Medford. And his topic is stewardship. And uh, Todd will be starting here in the morning in just a moment. And then Seth, pastor of worship uh, here at FBC, and his topic is... Surprise, surprise. Yeah, worship. Okay, so that's, that's good. And then Pat Husky, director of women's ministry here at FBC, and she'll be talking about our, life, our personal devotion, uh, personal devotion uh, towards uh, Christ. So let me open in prayer, and then Todd, we're going to let you uh, share with us what you have for us on stewardship. God, we thank you for your grace this morning. We pray as we have conversations about spiritual disciplines, habits of Christian life, what it means to put into action what we believe to be true about living for you. We pray that our conversation would be helpful, it would be encouraging, that we would be illuminated by your spirit for what your word teaches. And you might challenge us, Lord, that we might re-examine some of the uh, rhythms in our own life to see how we can set aside time to devote ourselves to you. So we pray this would be a fruitful discussion. In Jesus' name, amen. Todd, go ahead. All right, good morning. Um, so I really wanted to start off because, um, and this has been weighing 
heavy on my heart uh, and, and just this, this topic of stewardship. Um, and really, honestly, it's because I'm probably a little bit prideful. And by little bit, I mean I am prideful. And uh, we're really, if we, if we examine ourselves, I think we're all about ourselves. Uh, we think about our lives. It's my life. It's my job. It's my time. It's my money. Um, and if you're married, maybe it's ours. Um, and, and so, but it's, it's, it's all about me. And if we actually look at stewardship throughout the Bible, what, what we fail to realize is that's really just, um, uh, really just a falsehood that we kind of think that this is all my stuff. Um, this is all my things. And the Bible paints a different picture. And, and of course, it, it's okay to, to say, like, this is mine as, as we're differentiating it from someone else's. Like, hey, these are, th- these are my things. These are your things. That's fine. But when we're, we're talking about stewardship and what we have been given, really, the Bible paints a big, different picture. Uh, we'll have this on, up on the, the screen, Colossians 1, 15 and 16. Um, and here's what it says. And you can follow along in your own uh, scripture if you'd like to. It says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Uh, Really, it's just a picture of he is being Christ and, and all things were made by him and for him. So this idea that this is my things, these are my things, is just a... Uh, uh, kind of can be a sinful way of, of viewing it. So really, we have to realize that these things are not ours. It's actually God's. All things are God's. And he's actually, what we do in our Christian life, the, the best way to go about it is actually thinking, what are we giving back to God? So no longer, I know this usually comes in tithing, is usually we have, okay, 10%, I'll give 10% to God, and then 90% is mine. And really what we should view is, God has given us all of this money. So how am I going to worship God through giving um, to the church or giving to charitable organizations? Or, or, and how is he going to use it through, through me? And, and I'm the steward. And we see a picture of this even in the, the parable of the talents as well. Like that's the best, uh, uh, another good example um, in Matthew 25. I'll just summarize it real quick is the master, meaning God, like gives five talents to one person, two talents to another, and a, a talent the, the first two are considered faithful, and he, they invest, and they, they make deals, and they, uh, the, the person with five talents got five more, the, and he said, good and faithful servant, you can enter my joy. Same thing with the, uh, the servant with two talents, got two more, he said, good and faithful servant, you can enter my joy. The one talent was scared of his master, and he buried his treasure. And so, and, and he basically says, you slothful servant and he rebukes him the master rebukes him saying you could have just invested it and gotten mine plus a little interest and that would have been fine and so this is a picture of really like us wasting the things that God has given us by burying them in the sand by burying them and not using them for his purposes and so really stewardship regardless of what it is whether it's our time our talent our treasure in this case money like it really is, is how am I going to invest this in kingdom purposes? How has God has entrusted me with these things, with my home, with my car, with the things that I own that God has given me, how can I use this for kingdom purposes? And really, that's the picture of stewardship throughout the Bible. And so it's not a, it's not a, almost like not a rule, but I mean, there's, there's general rules, but, but what is God, what God has given me? How can I invest that in kingdom work? And, and, and yeah, that's, that's, yeah, all throughout the Old Testament, one thing that 
continuously astounds me, and then I try to think I'm better than the Israelites and realize I'm the same. It's just how often, like, God is so incredibly generous, um, even juxtaposed to the other little G-gods that the other nations are following. I mean, they come into the promised land, and they're given this abundant blessing, and the only requirement is a sacrifice of one-tenth of their absolute abundance, and yet they see the Amalekites and the Amorites and all the others, like, sacrificing their children and slashing themselves and all of these, like, torturous things to worship their gods. And the Israelites are like, huh, that looks like a good idea, rather than one-tenth of my overflowing abundance. And just this, this realization that... Um, yeah, God has given us absolutely everything in creation in himself through Christ. And what he is asking of is so little in comparison when you actually look at the reality of, of the fact that he doesn't need it. And so like as we find with all habits we'll get to, it's really more about us than about God needing something. Right. Um, but just that reality that stewarding what God has given me is such, it's almost like the least I could do for him. For, for the grandeur of what he has given and what he has done for us? One of the things that, that I think about in terms of stewardship is giving back to him what he's given to me monetarily is just one little portion because he's called me to be a steward of even myself, that every part of what, I'm, what I've been doing. One of the things, again, referencing the Old Testament is God gave five different sacrificial offerings in the Levitical system. And two of them represented stewardship. One was the burnt offering, which says, I'm going to give to God everything that I am. I'm going to give him my heart and my soul and my mind. I'm going to love him with all that I am. And then the, the other one was the grain offering, which said, now I'm going to bring to him that which I've get, what he's given me, the abundance. I'm going to bring back to him the first fruits, which means that I'm really giving, recognizing that all of it is his. I'm giving him back the first fruits so that I can use in relationship to him, uh, in accordance to his will and his glory, the rest, of the, the rest of it. And so stewardship is really an issue of giving God my whole heart. And then when I give him my heart, everything else is just a blessed offering I give back to him. All right. Uh, I just want to put the panel um, uh, in uncomfortable spots because uh, that's my spiritual gift. <laughs> So, because uh, I know people are asking, I knew on this particular topic of stewardship and our stuff that we would get no texts uh, from the audience. So I'll ask what they're thinking. How much do I have to give to get into heaven? And if you don't think you have to give money to get into heaven, first of all, good, you can keep your job. Um, then how, what does that look like if, if I want to please my Savior? Because that's, I mean, that's what we're asking, you know, so there you go. There you have it. That's it. Um, okay, so... You're welcome. Yeah. I'm asking them. Uh, it got really hot in here. Um, no. So you, pick, I, you picked the topic. I know, I picked like the topic. I didn't pick it for you. You said, hey, I want to do a stewardship. Yeah. And we're like, okay, go ahead. Yeah, no. Um, I, I think the again, like, like Pat said, it's where your heart's at. And the, the idea is, is we, we really think that, again, we're not giving God anything that he can't already do without it like mm. it's not like he oh, oh if i don't give god enough he's going to be without like he can do a miracle miracles through nothing and but it's where my heart's at and if we think it's going to be a certain percentage a certain this then we've missed the point of what god is asking us to do one it's it, every all gifts are sacrificial um and so 
a sacrifice for a person who has very little is going to be, uh, it's going to be, um, in terms of monetarily, it's going to be, like, a little is a lot uh, to them in terms of percentage, but then someone who has a lot is, like, it's harder to give sacrificially when you do are given a lot, uh, because 10%, we're going to use that as, a, as an example, 10% for someone making $1,000 is $100, that's a huge sacrifice, but someone making a million dollars is uh, math, so. <laughs> it equals something. Glad I picked a number I didn't know off the top of my head. Um, it's 100,000. 100,000, thank you. <laughs> so this is going well. And so that 100,000 is, is probably less of a sacrifice, uh, still a lot of money, but still probably less of a sacrifice in terms of their, because they still have um, $900,000 to go and do with as they please. So if we, if we just focus on the percentage, that's not the issue. It's where is my heart in this? What, what is God asking me to sacrificially give back to him? And, and again, part of that is viewing and kind of saying, hey, this is not my money to begin with. And like, this is what God has given me. How am I going to use it for, for kingdom work? And yeah, that means, I, I think that a good portion, uh, I mean, a, a healthy habit is to give to the local church, give to Christian organizations, things that you're passionate about even. Um, I think those are all things that we have to go, yeah, what, what is going to be a sacrifice for me? What is going to be a gift and a cheer, like be a cheerful and generous giver? Yeah. I think too, uh, with all these, but specifically stewardship, habit, it could be dangerous if it becomes a habit and it's nothing more than a habit. Because, you know, like Megan and I do our finances, and okay, this percentage goes to that, this percentage goes to that, and we do the math, and then we move on. And if it's not something that is occurring because you have an active and living relationship with God, and you are conversing with him about what you should be doing, what your sacrifice looks like, then um, it's really easy to become legalistic about that. Well, I'll give 10%, because that's what the Bible says. If I'm really spiritual, I'm going to give 11. Turn it up to 11. 11. But... Um, you know, for, as an example, real quick, um, if you give online to the church and you use a credit card, there's a 2.3% like processing fee. And I was using a credit card for a while just because, well, I get 2% back on, you know, on my credit card. So I'll give to God and get a little bit back even when I give to God. And one time I was just clicking through and all of a sudden I felt this conviction. I need to be using a debit card or I need to cover that 2.3% because I'm like, I'm giving 10% and it's not being legalistic, but I'm giving this amount that I feel called to give. And then I'm getting a little kicker as well. And, and I'm just like, well, I'm going to let the church cover that $20 fee and I'm going to, and I'm going to get, you know, 15 back. And, and I just, the Lord went, no, don't do that. I asked you to give this much. So you need to take the necessary steps, either using a debit card, doing cash or covering that fee. And that's not, maybe not the case for all of you, but that's just, I mean, we've been doing it that way for years. And all of a sudden, one, one evening, we're going through finances, and I felt the Lord go, hey, stop doing that. Yeah. Went, okay. You know. Another thing I think that is inherent in, in the question, Greg, is how much do I have to give back to God? Um, of course, lends itself to this legalistic perspective that check the box, now I'm good to go. Um, but I think there's also a, a flip side of that is how lavish has God been to us? How much has he given to us over and above, more than we can ask, more than we can imagine? And I'm begrudging calculating how much I should give back to him. The God who um, holds everything together, the God who gives me breath to breathe, and I'm trying to decide how much that's worth, um, begins to become just a little bit of a lopsided perspective. When God gets my heart, he gets all of me. 
I think that's a good point too. It's it's all, like the answer is always all, all of it. Like I mean, and then we we really think like okay, it is all of it. We should give all of it back. And so, what? Now that that can be. I'm not saying everyone like. Well, hey, if you want, go give away everything. But there is this idea that like we want to find a reason not to give all of it back. We, we, that's our sinful self. We want to say like, oh, oh I, I can't, I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. Here's the reasons why. I, I don't want to do this. I don't want to give this much. I don't want to get like. Here's a reason why. We, we're always going to find. If you want a reason why not to give something back, it's not going to. You're going to find a reason. And so, really, it's that letting go of realizing it's your stuff um, and 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 your things. And again, this is something that I am, mm-hmm. am teaching to myself through this. This is the reason why I wanted to talk about this. I think there's. Yeah. I think there's one little caveat that that we need to really address though, is that we need to give accordance to what God's laid on our heart. We can't judge by other people. No one should go, to, go away feeling burdened because they are in limited resources. Uh, God looks at our heart and he takes the penny with as much joy and uh, delight as he does in the 100,000. Yes, hmm. absolutely. All right, uh, a couple of things to touch on. I think, Todd, really helpful to, to touch on that scripture in Colossians because when we think about stewardship, it's much more than just donating to our church or donating to other Christian or community organizations. It's really thinking about our stuff, and when we use it, how do we do that in a way that brings glory to our, to our God? So if, if we're married, it might be how do we interact with our finances with our spouse? Um, and... Uh, Finances, as it turns out, I, I, I just found this out. I didn't know this personally, having been married 24 years. It, I guess uh, couples fight over money? Is that a, I guess that's a thing. Um, I knew very well that was a thing. I'm not looking at Jordan right now. Right, don't look at But isn't that interesting? Well, what would it look like to approach finances in my home if I'm going to glorify God in finances where it doesn't create conflict? Now, that's a complicated answer, but that might be a part of how do we think about our stuff? If it's causing conflict, something's going on in my heart that, that needs to be addressed. We, we might think about how we use our, our, our money in, in providing for our families and how we make decisions about how we use our funds for leisure. Uh, rest and Sabbath and leisure and recreation are important ways that we worship God and we should partake in those. And, and, and that's one of the ways we think about how do we worship God yeah. through using our, our stuff for this. Uh, a couple of questions that come up we'll just uh, touch on briefly. Somebody asked, uh, in the context of stewardship, how do we use this habit, this discipline, as a, a, a testimony uh, to others? And uh, I'm going to take this one, and then the next one I'll read to you guys. Uh, if you work in an office environment or in an, in an environment with coworkers, on occasion, somebody will walk by with the sheet and the sheet is from their elementary school kid that's got a little league team or a um, bake sale. Or, and so they want you to pay $40 for cookies that you have no intention of eating because uh, you have no idea how they were baked, right? <laughs> and so one of the ways we can approach our stuff in those contexts is to be the person who is, who is generous with our stuff in those contexts, that we're the first one. Uh, to, to help our, our co-workers' friends. So 
again, stewardship is not merely what do I donate it, it, do I have a heart of generosity? And how do I communicate to my coworkers that Jesus has given me so much, namely spiritual life, that I can, yeah, I can give 50 bucks to your kid's little league team, and I'm happy to do it, and, and, and even check in on the team later that spring. Hey, how's the team doing? And, and that's one of the ways that we can take generosity. It's not just about giving to church or local organizations, but it's also how we approach our stuff. Um, somebody asked this question, so well, any of you can take it, and then we're going to have to move on to the next topic. How can we make our giving or our stewardship relational and not merely transactional? How do we, how do we in worship, take it from, relational, from transactional, where we're just writing a check or making a donation or whatever it might be, to making it relational? Do you have any, any ideas on that from, from the panel? That's a hard question, but that's a good question. Yeah. Uh, I mean, even if, it, if we are talking about, like, local church or, or even a, a, a something you're giving to, I think it's being involved in more than just that finances. So, um, I mean, we have awesome ministries here in, like, that, that many people are involved in, even in this church, that... that it's amazing that we have volunteers like so so after sunday morning we have volunteers that 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 basically volunteer in other ministries all around the valley and they're 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 probably give or the, my assumption is is they're giving through our church that gives to that that ministry and then they're going and investing time uh into that ministry as well uh, as volunteers um, even I mean, some have even joined staff with the, these these other organizations. So I think that's a huge way is, is making your investment more than just the the transaction of here's the money, go and do as as you wish. But it's actually spending time. So here, I mean, we, we did talk about the ki- the kids ministry. Like we, we need volunteers. Like hey, not only are you giving to the church, but you're you're gonna spend some time and and love on on kids in the kids ministry or student ministry or. Help out with women's. Our, our women, yeah, women, <laughs> women's ministry with with help or wor- being on the worship team. There's there's plenty of of ways to get involved in our church, and and I think that's that really making it less transactional. It's not just oh here's the money and then I'm not going to do anything else. It's here's 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 my t- my treasures, and now here's my time. I think that's often more costly. It's way yeah. easier for me to give someone fifty bucks than give them an hour <laughs> out of my calendar. Yeah. So yeah. I think prayer is a major component of that, uh, is uh, whether we're giving to a church or a missionary or a missions organization, I think um, investing and, and being generous is important, but I think when we take the time to understand what are the specific prayer needs and then developing uh, habits around praying for that organization, and then maybe even touching base, maybe if we are supporting a, a particular missionary on the field, is sending them an email saying, hey, I've been praying for you, but just wanted to update what I'm praying about. What are some things I can be praying for you this week? That's a way of, of taking it beyond just uh, uh, a financial support, which is important, uh, but even more vital is the spiritual support that can come through that relational connection and in prayer. Somebody also, I see you're trying to talk, Pat. You're just, you're cut off. Um, yeah, I'm, Someone asked, uh, can I tithe my time instead of my money in service to others in, in volunteering? Um, and you know what? Those things aren't mutually exclusive. You know, I, for, I, I would say there's two things that we could possibly do that are a little bit imbalanced. Number one is we could provide, uh, we could provide and donate resources and say, well, I've, 
I gave it the office so I don't need to participate in ministry. I think that is a, a, a challenge that we need to overcome spiritually. But the reverse is also true, which is, oh, I, I went down and I, I helped um, uh, clean the gutters, so therefore uh, all of my stuff is, is mine. I think both of those, the question isn't can I, the question is what's going on in my heart. That is, you know, how do I um, recognize what it looks like to worship uh, the Lord. All right, those are all great questions. I know you have lots more to ask, and so Todd's email is uh, no, it's on the it's on the website. So you can email Todd, and he'd be ha- happy to field those questions. Um, Seth, are, are you next, Seth? I am. Seth, why don't you give us an idea of uh, how you think about um, stuff Christians do when it comes to worship? I need to branch out, apparently. <laughs> well, the worship guy's doing worship. Yep, that's all right. <laughs> uh, no, I I think. Um, Modern worship conferences and YouTube music videos, I don't know how many of you have seen those kind of things floating around. Um, To some degree, they have almost done a disservice to the gathered church as a whole. Um, I know that I, as I'm, you know, continually looking for new songs and new expressions of worship and maybe new renditions of doing old versions and things like that, um, I always come across these videos and everyone is fully engaged and everyone's hands are raised and it's this incredible experience. Um, And while I think they can be maybe a glimpse and a good picture of the heavenly worship that is to come, uh, I've noticed I have never once seen the stone-faced guy (laughs) on one of those videos. The camera doesn't go to him. Um, (laughs) So all you see is the guys, people who are super emotionally engaged. Um, And then worship leaders and teachers, myself included in this, have been hammering down this idea that worship is primarily a response to God. It's a response to his work, to his character, to his nature. And that is completely true. But the implication when we hammer down this idea that worship is response is that it's primarily emotionally driven, that it's feelings-based. And so we show up on Sunday morning and we wait for a quiver in our liver before we start getting involved in anything you know, and, and hope that the Lord is going to do something or I'm going to feel some certain way before I start engaging in what's happening here. And I don't know why we do that with church because we don't really do that with, like, any other relationship. I mean, if, if you do that with a spouse or a friend, you don't actually serve them or engage them in conversation until they make you feel a certain way or you have a certain idea of how things should be. That relationship is just not going to last. That's just the reality of it. So the biblical reality is that engaging in musical worship, yeah, there's, there's certainly an emotional component, absolutely. Um, but singing together as a congregation specifically is a spiritual habit. And the danger of assuming that it's only a response is that it becomes reactionary. It becomes subject to my whims, my desires, my moods, which swing every single day. So I'll go into a couple passages of scripture real quick, and I'll show you a couple things. I don't have it on the screen, but Acts 17, verses 24 and 25, Paul is making a defense in Greece um, to explaining their, they have an a, uh, altar to an unknown God, and he's explaining who that unknown God is. Um, and he says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So what he's saying there is we we worship God because he deserves it, but it's not because he needs it. He was perfect to complete before creation. He didn't create us because there was a hole in himself and he needed some friends or something like that. 
He doesn't have this love tank that needs to be continually filled like we all do in a relationship. And that's kind of counterintuitive because, yes, there's absolutely a vertical aspect to worship, and there is absolutely giving God his due, but he doesn't need our worship. If we don't worship, the rocks will, the stars will, all of creation will. It already is. So if he doesn't need our singing on Sunday morning, then why in the world are we doing it? Well, there's two things I want you to think about. So the act of worship is to God, but the habit of worship is for us. And also, the habit of worship is for those around you. There's a reason we gather together as a church and sing corporately and not just hum to the radio in the car and then come in here and just listen to a sermon. So Ephesians 5, 18 through 19, Paul says this. It should be up on the screen, yep. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord, in your heart. So the two things he says there, the first is addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, which is maybe very weird for this day and age's understanding of worship where the music is super loud and the lights are super low and it's just me and God, even though there's 15,000 people in that arena. But we sing these songs and we remind one another the truths of the gospel. Have you ever sung something that you realized you don't believe? I think most Sundays I realize at some point in one of the songs that I'm a hypocrite. Like the, <laughs> the last line of the last song we did, How Good Is He? If he never did another thing for me, he's all I'll ever need. I actually almost didn't want to sing that line the first time I did that song because I know that's not true. <laughs> Jesus is all I'll ever need plus a house, plus two cars, plus this much money, plus food on the table, plus, you know, I could make a list a mile long, and you all could too, of all the things I need, plus Jesus. And so singing something like that is, it, it's hard for me. Almost every single time we sing that line, I'm like, I'm a hypocrite, I'm a hypocrite, but I'm going to say it anyway because it's my job. <laughs> but when I hear the people sing that around me, if I'm not in that place, I'm reminded that there are people who are in that place. Or if they aren't, they are also struggling alongside me to get to that place where, yeah, okay, that line is true for me, and I do actually believe that. We practice this habit together because everybody has good days, bad days, off days, and when we come together, we get to strengthen one another's faith no matter where we are at. And the second thing he says is, in verse 19, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So with your heart, that means being emotionally engaged. So absolutely, there's an emotional element when it comes to connecting with God vertically in worship. It means having the feels. Maybe there is a quiver in your liver. I don't mean to say that to, to degrade it. But I think we get the order backwards. Because in my experience, as with most habits, emotion follows obedience. My wife and I have started doing some cardio workouts in the evenings, and I guarantee you not once have I thought, yes, it's cardio time. Yes. <laughs> but, but I look forward to the feeling afterwards. I'm, I remind myself of, oh yeah, that feeling of accomplishment afterwards is worth committing to doing this. If I wait for the feeling to start working out, I'm never, never going to work out. And that's, that's just the reality. Maybe some of you have better self-discipline than me, but so if I come in on Sunday morning and I'm waiting for something to happen, it's very likely the sermon's going to be over. We're going to be saying, hey, bye, and everyone's heading to lunch before you even realize 
Like, <laughs> oh, I had an opportunity to engage with the Lord there, but I was sitting back waiting for something amazing to happen as that Incredibles movie. What are you looking at, kid? I don't know, something amazing, I guess. We're, just, we're waiting for God to do something that stirs us because we've kind of been taught maybe too heavily that there's response. And so I get to sit back and wait for God to be the amazing thing, irregardless of the fact that his entire scripture and the entire history of the world is evidence enough that I should just be flat on my face all the time. But I think that's why it's so important is to come together for those two reasons, because we get to strengthen one another and we get to practice when our emotions are not kicking in, we get to practice the habit and keep doing that, praying that the Lord is faithful and the Holy Spirit moves and that those emotions will follow and carry us through those times when it feels dry. I get to respond first? Yep. Wow. <laughs> I was hoping I could ride on Todd, what Todd had to say. <laughs> um, but as, as you talk about worship being uh, both vertical as well as horizontal, I can only speak from my own personal experiences how much it encourages me to be in the midst of God's people. I know all of us in this room have engaged in worship through music many times for a long time. How many times have you just been silent for just a moment and just listened to those worshiping God around you? And it becomes a contagion that welcomes me in to that place of recognizing sometimes I'm not tracking with her God is. Sometimes e Ecclesiastes says, you know, that it's important to be in pairs because when one is, this is Pat's version of Ecclesiastes, when one sings off tune, the other one is on tune and I can kind of ride on theirs. <laughs> when one isn't feeling like singing, someone else is and their singing encourages me and, and brings me back to the place of looking to to respond to the God who's there. And so I think the, the idea that God has called us to worship together is such an important aspect of not just a habit, but it's also a blessing that we can give to one another. Uh, you don't know how the one sitting next to you is, is what, what is going on in their heart, what they've come from this, this morning, or maybe what they're going home to. And to just hear someone like them sitting on the pew, not up on the stage, sitting on the pew, giving praise to a God that sometimes doesn't seem to be within arm's reach can carry me for more than a week. Yeah, I like, I like the idea. Um, man, we, we so many think, uh, think of this emotional response to, to, to worship. And, and I think there, there's no denying the fact that emotions and songs go hand in hand. Like, I... There is something profound about music in in creation. That's just that, that's why we worship with song. Like when words fail, songs songs tend to carry uh, carry the burden, or your poems, or something like that. And so, um, and when I think about how I emotionally respond to song uh, or in song in church, is so many times I'm I, I, I think of other times in my life where the expression is a natural reaction. So um, I think right now, like with Hudson uh, being born and everything like that, so as, as a father, when, when he took his first step, I, there was no stopping me from going, yeah, and like actually expressing that with a, a exuberant outpouring of words with cheers and claps. And, and, and so that, like there was nothing holding me back. That's, that's how I want my worship to be a natural response 
of that same those same feelings and and so we do in in, in life elsewhere um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna do it because it's football Sunday so and my Eagles are gonna win and so um, here we go uh, so, yeah <laughs> uh, and so uh, and so but like when 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 I'm watching football like there there are times that like I'm getting so invested in it that and and Jordan can attest to this I actually have to turn off like the TV if I'm getting too emotionally invested in it like where I, I'll just go no I'm getting too angry or I'm getting too exorbitant, it, like invested in this game that literally means very little in my life. The word you're struggling for is idolatry. Idolatry, okay, yeah. <laughs> Point Greg. Um, and, so, <laughs> and so if I'm showing that much exuberance for football or for, for a sporting event that, and, and I don't have that same reaction emotionally, like in church, I, there, yeah, I have to do some digging in my in my soul for that, and so and 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 that's the way I, I view it is is my emotional response to something that happens naturally in our lives, and it doesn't have to be sports. It could be something like I said, like your child taking first steps, saying first words, things like that. Um, is that is that the way you're worshiping God, and 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 so that's what I get convicted with that outpouring of, of emotion in in terms of worship. Well, that's why everybody's in a different place. Even your great example of your child taking their first step or saying their first word as a parent, you're really excited and thrilled. But then you have somebody who's had four kids, they've all done that, and gone to college, had kids who now have all done those things. And so now you've, this person may, really your kid took a step, like almost every other kid who's ever lived. Like your kid isn't that special. You know, that's, that's I mean, nobody would... <laughs> Nobody would say that out loud, but, but emotionally, we're like, yes, okay. He did. We're not as invested in that moment. And I think that happens when we come to church, yeah. is, is some people are experiencing something, and you can tell through their expression, well, something is going on, and, and whereas we're singing this song, and we've sung it a thousand times, and it's kind of cold in here, and, uh, and we're having trouble getting your know, experience. But worship is, is, involves the emotions. When you read the Psalms, they're intentionally written as poems where we connect propositional truth with how that makes us respond. And now we don't have to respond emotionally, but that's one of the things. If I'm, if I come to church for, for a year and sing songs and never feel something towards God, I, I might want to say, Lord, what's going on? Why am I not engaging emotionally what's going on? Somebody asked Lord, this really good question. And, uh, Two, two, two questions, I think, another one came in. So, okay. The first one is this. If I'm starting a relationship with God and want to know God, how can worship help me with that? In, in terms of my personal discipleship, how can worship help me with that? And the second question somebody asked is this. Are uh, physical movements, is physical engagement in worship um, is it necessary? Is it important? What role does that have to play or does it have to play? Uh, and so those are those two questions. I'll throw those out to you. And then for the sake of time, we may have to move on to the next one. So whoever wants to engage with either one of those. Yeah. Um, I will cover the second one to some degree in our closing thoughts. Okay. Uh, but we can still cover it. Absolutely. Uh, as far as like starting a new relationship with God, um, I find that worship is fueled by knowledge. Paul talks about worshiping with my heart and my mind, praying with my mind and my heart. There's, 
they are intertwined. And so if you want to engage in worshiping with the Lord, you need to know who you are worshiping and what you are worshiping him for. And so spend time in the word like crazy because all of the songs that we sing on Sunday are paraphrases, rewrites, or concepts from scriptural truths. And the idea is that when you sing a song, it reminds you of that passage of scripture. Um, one thing I've wanted to start doing, I've been working on it in the background, but they haven't gone up yet, is actually having the passage of scripture on the bottom of the worship slide that this song is coming from or that it references. Because some of us are less musical and a little more maybe cog mental, cognitive, more like to think and stew over things rather than emotionally engage with things. And that's okay if, if that's your strength. You can take a song and go, yeah, that is true. That reminds me of this passage that I love. Um, and so I see so many people, especially kind of in the more charismatic movements that get caught up in the emotionalism of it, and they're super excited about God and they have no idea why. Because these super simple songs that say one word over and over and they have the bridge that's repeated 16 times and the song is 12 minutes long, it's like, <laughs> I'm all for that if the music is really good and we're kind of into it and it's grooving and that's great, but if I'm not expanding my mind to the full gamut of the realities of the truths of God, and I'm just continuously landing and harping on one single thing and getting caught in this emotionalism that I'm not actually engaging with the whole reality of God. I'm, I'm, I'm limiting myself so much if all I do is engage in the emotionalism of it and not back that up with the truth of Scripture. So just make sure I heard right because I think this is what you're saying, I think is absolutely true. Sometimes the biblical concepts in music are easier for us to capture. And many of us struggle with scripture memorization. I, I struggle with scripture memory. And, but, but I can remember a melody in the, in, in the words to it. And so one of the ways that aids our Christian walk is we may remember a song that's rooted biblically, and that's why our songs being rooted biblically is important, and that allows us throughout the week to remember these important things that are true, these propositional truths that we're experiencing through music. Is that, am I? Yeah, and that's, okay. yeah, that's some of the power that I love in some of the old classic hymns from the 17 and 1800s is that the, the writing style of the time was stanzas that had the same repetition, the same melody, so they were really easy to remember, and then each one had a different uh, topic or category that was very important. So you could get the entire biblical narrative by just singing Amazing Grace or In Christ Alone or Be Thou My Vision. And some of them would get drilled down, but they would often be set so that the melody, it's impossible to forget. And then the words you attach, there's actually, they've scientifically proven that you attach words to songs in a deeper level of your, cog of your memory on these longer strands of chemicals than uh, just random things that happen throughout the day. We were literally like designed by God to remember things better when they're set to music. Mm. Were you going to say something, Pat? I, virtually what you said. That oh. I think especially as, as, a, as a new believer or just beginning to understand the fullness of Scripture, I think music helps us to grasp that. Where I can only read one verse or time or maybe a chapter, uh, sometimes worship music takes me through, like you said, the whole meta-narrative of Scripture becomes more understandable. It helps me connect the dots of the scriptures that I've been reading to make a picture of Jesus. On the physical movements, one of the things, uh, one of the things that we see through scripture is a variety of ways in which people worship. They, they worship and pray standing, sitting, laying on their face, um, 
David worshiped God by dancing so uh, rigorously that his wife was ashamed of it. Um, and these are all ways. So, so one of the questions is, are physical movements engaging with God in worship, are they important? We would say th- I would say this. We see this in the Bible, uh, that ways in which we can physically communicate to God what we are thinking of him, whether it be raising our hands, which uh, is in the Bible, whether it be being seated, whether it be being quiet and eyes closed or eyes open, these are ways in which we can communicate something to God about our, our devotion. So they're important to the degree that you want to engage with communicating God what your devotion is. Also in the context of community worship, it also helps us communicate with one another uh, how we are engaging with God uh, in worship. And that's really, really uh, important. We see that uh, throughout the scripture. Somebody makes a comment uh, like this. They say, when it comes to worship on the days I'm not feeling like singing, I remind myself he's worthy of my worship regardless of how I feel. And, And that's a way of, again, that intentionality of saying, you know, Really, what's important here is not how I feel, but how I communicate to God uh, what's true of, uh, of him. And, of course, another person even says that sometimes that's difficult to do. Uh, because sometimes, and it never happens, Seth, sometimes Seth picks a song you don't like. <laughs> or that you can't sing. It's got a melody or a range that you struggle with. Or it's not the song you were hoping for. Uh, you know, that there's a particular song that meant something to you and has meant something to you, and that's really, really important for all of us. And, and it was something we were hoping to connect with. And sometimes that's where that it's one thing for us to worship God when we're, when we're moved to worship God. That's a fantastic place to be. But there's another element of worship where we intentionally engage to worship God even when we're not moved. And those are two ways we can bring glory to God, and both of them are really, really, uh, really, really important. Okay, um, let's move on. Uh, we're going to touch on each of these. I've told them just so you know at the end, which will be at 3.30. Um, uh, at the end, of, I asked each of them to give us two or three tips on each of these habits. So when we get to the end, they're going to give us some tips on how do we engage in these. And also, for those of you who are keeping score at home, the movie reference score sheet so far, we have Spinal Tap, turn it to 11, We've got that one. No Spinal Tap fans? I thought I'd have one or two. And then we've got The Incredibles. So keep track at home. Move your references. Pat. There will probably not be any movie references. <laughs> Just give me the big zero. <laughs> <laughs> but I do get to talk about our personal devotion to the Lord and how do we um, really live out stewardship and worship uh, through devotion to how do I... Um, respond to what I know about who Jesus is and what he does what he's done for me and in thinking through that very important thing that we do as believers uh, personal devotion I was led to Luke uh, chapter 7 a story that's included by Luke about two people that were in the same room with Jesus observing the same things and yet two vastly different responses Jesus was invited to a Pharisee's home one day for dinner. And when Jesus came in, the Pharisee just didn't even respond with common courtesy. He didn't provide him uh, water to wash his feet. He didn't kiss him, which was the customary greeting when someone came into your home. Um, 
He just was there. So Jesus reclined at dinner, but there was another person there that night. She was an uninvited guest. Um, she was well known clearly in the community because the Pharisee knew her by reputation. She was a sinful woman. Um, she came to observe as a spectator this dinner between a very religious man and Jesus. And the story tells us that she brought with her an alabaster jar filled with perfume. And she intentionally sought out the feet of Jesus as he was reclining at the table. And the scripture goes on to say that as she was with Jesus in his presence, she began to weep. And she wept so much that her tears puddled at Jesus' feet. So she responded by loosening her hair and wiping his feet with her hair and then anointed the oil, the perfume on Jesus' feet. And the Pharisee um, was both offended by this woman's uh, lavish display of uh, shameful behavior, but he was also offended by Jesus because he, the Pharisee, thinking to himself, if he was really a prophet, he would know who this woman is, that she's a sinner, and he would not allow such, such, such a shameful display of emotion in this place. Jesus, of course, being the prophet that he was, knew what Simon was thinking and gave a parable. And in the parable, he talked about two more people, two who owed debts to a moneylender. Um, and the moneylender, knowing that neither one could pay their debt, um, decided to generously forgive both debts. And so Jesus asked the Pharisee, asked Simon, we know now his name, um, who loves more, the one who was forgiven more or less? Who loves more? And Simon had to say, well, I guess the one who was forgiven the most. And then Jesus turned that parable around and brought it into the room. And he said, Simon, when I came in, you didn't even give me common courtesy. But this woman who was a sinner came in and she lavished on me unashamedly her love and appreciation. And Jesus turned around the Pharisee's answer that uh, he who is forgiven most loves most. And Jesus turned it around and said, and he who is forgiven little loves little. And so in this particular text, it would appear that Jesus is equating um, the overt display of love, may perhaps foolishly, perhaps shamefully, um, could be directly related to how much we recognize what God has done for us. And although we don't carry alabaster jars of perfume with us, and we rarely wash one another's feet, especially with our tears or our hair, God has given us ways to display our personal devotion, one of those being reading his word and getting to know him better. And the second is praying, talking to him about who he is and what he's done for us. It's as we read the Bible that we recognize how much mercy we have received. It's in reading the Bible that we understand how much we have been forgiven. And then in the privilege of prayer, we are allowed the grace of a relationship with the God that loves us in spite of who we are and what we've done. And so one of the ways that I think we can express our personal devotion to God is spend time reading his word, finding out who he is and what he's done for us, and then respond in a gratitude and worship that recognizes we have been forgiven much and we have been given grace that allows us to be in a relationship that allows us to talk to God. He hears us. 
Like the, um, unlike the uninvited guest, we are, invite, we are invited guests into the very presence of the God who loves us. And one of the ways that we can continue on a daily basis is to read the word and to talk to him. Yeah, I, I really like the, the idea, because like, that just shows the heart of, 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 of worship. And, and, and part of that heart of worship is actually doing the things that God wants us to do. And that's getting to know him and, and understanding his word and, and getting to know him by talking to him. And, and so um, sometimes I think we, we get in this, this habit of, of uh, um, do, having a daily write, reading plan and, and checking the box. And, and I, I do want to say that that's good. If you have a plan and, and you're reading a daily, and have a daily uh, reading plan, I want to like, encourage you. Or even if you just have something that you do on, as a devotional each day and being in God's word. Um, but one of my professors at TTS, I, I thank, thank him so much for, for even saying this one time, is um, basically we'd be in classes, and if we were in like Old Testament history class, we'd have to read the Old Testament history books. So, uh, and, and that's a lot of reading. You and had so to read the Bible at I seminary. had to read the Bible at seminary, yeah. We actually opened it up a couple times. Um, <laughs> even at the, yeah, even at Dallas Theological <laughs> Seminary. Uh, um, and uh, so, sorry. Um, and we, so one of the things he said was, like, the teachers would inevitably say, like, hey, if you have your, per we want you to do your personal devotion and this reading. Don't use this reading as your personal devotion. And this, te this teacher said, there should never be a time that you open God's word and not be convicted by it. Like, it should change every time you open the Bible. It should be you, you should be convicted to do something, or 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 it should it should um, uh, change something about you. And and what he was trying to tell us is that regardless of what you're prepping for, or what you're using God's Word for, um, and this can include like podcasts you listen to, sermons you listen to outside of uh, church, um, even this uh, on Sunday morning, you're hearing God's Word. Scripture that uh, like uh, as it's uh, sung in song, um, all of these different areas so um, can be devotional ways you can engage in God's word. It's not always the checkbox um, of of preparing like of, of I'm going to sit in on my desk in my prayer room and read the Bible to get God's word. It can actually be whenever you're interacting with God's word, whether you're even talking to someone and you actually start talking about a scripture that you've been wrestling with or they've been wrestling with, that's interacting with God's word. That is helpful and it's like a two-edged sword and, and it pierces your heart. And so all of those things are good things and devotional type things. So think about all the ways that you're getting exposed from the Bible in your daily life, not just opening up God's word. I would say there's no better replacement since we have access to God's word. But, I mean, even before the parenting class, where, how did they get God's word? They had to sit and listen to God's word. Mm -hmm. And so um, I, I think we just sometimes do a disservice by saying, oh, this is the only way I can get God's word, and this is the only time that God's going to change me through his word. No. Personal devotion um, is one of those areas that I feel like is so cultural that we create these assumptions for what it should look like, like, there should be a cup of coffee with a heart in the froth, and it should be Instagram-worthy, you know, and, and it should be an hour and a half long. But I think the reality of personal devotion is that you are posturing yourself to be fed however that's going to work in your day. Um, on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, my wife works really long hours, and by the time she comes home, she's beat, 
And so in the morning and on the drive to work, she plays the Bible or a Risen Motherhood podcast or something like that on her phone. I hear it going while she's in there getting ready and then heading out the door. And it's 15, 20 minutes at most, and there's no note-taking, there's no crying, there's no, the presence of God is here, and I'm just going to soak in it for hours. Absolutely, of course, we long for that. But it really is, if we think of it primarily as an opportunity to encounter God in a closet, we're going to be disappointed a lot. Because that's just not the reality between sin, brokenness, even just the reality of the way that God works sometimes in seasons that we're in. But being able to think of it more as positioning yourself for your soul to be given good food in whatever form that's going to come, obviously primarily through scripture or those who are orating scripture in some other form or fashion, whether that's a 30-day devotional or a, or a whatever it is. Um, I pray the Lord would engage with me at every moment when I do that, but the reality is, is that this is like just having breakfast. I, I, my soul needs this as much as my body needs breakfast. I, I really like one of the things um, we're discussing here is maybe altering our expectation around what it means to engage with the Word of God. Because a lot of times we want to engage with the Word of God to generate uh, a positive feeling, which does happen, you know. But, but really, if we're thinking of this woman worshiping Christ, when we engage the Word of God, we're we're being exposed to God himself. And if we understand what the scripture teaches about being in the presence of God, it actually reveals more and more how much we need his grace. And so it's interesting, the arrogance in us says, oh, I read my Bible, so I must be holier. Mm. When, when the heart of it that's worshipful is, since I read my Bible, I realized how holy I'm not. And, and that leads us to a place of transformation because that conviction of the Holy Spirit allows us to say, Lord, what was I thinking? I thought I was doing, I thought it was amazing, but now your word is making clear your grace is still sufficient. You're still here for me, even in, uh, even in my brokenness. I think that's a helpful distinction. It doesn't mean we go to the Bible to get beaten up, but it means we, when we discover more and more of what God is like, I think we become a, much more aware of how gracious and kind uh, he is. Um, a couple of questions, uh, maybe, um, is reading a devotional book as good as reading the Bible? What's the difference if there is one? So I'll give that, that's a hard question, so I'm going to give that to the panel. Okay. Hey, you want to be the yeah, moderator? Yeah, you know, yeah you no, this is it. good. Um, I, so I think there, there, it's, a, it's a yes and a no. Uh, I, I think this is a both end. That's like, a cop out. Yeah, no, I know. You can't say yes and no. <laughs> so, yeah, like, like I was saying, is, is you should never, like, it, it, if it's pointing you to Scripture um, and it, it's making comments, like, and, it, and, and I'm guessing that's what the devotional is like. Here's a Scripture, like, contemplate it, and then it usually has, like, some story and, uh, that, that's involved with that Scripture. Uh, yeah, you, like there's that's good. It's God's word, it, 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 and if you're sitting there contemplating on that that scripture, yeah, there's nothing. I mean, that's that's great. Um, I think there also the, the 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 danger in that is if that's just if that's the only way you're getting scripture, then there might be then I would say like you're missing out on so much more. Like just the context of stories, the narratives, a, a lot of this. 
uh, a lot of the, the even the meta narrative of, of, of scripture is even being lost in saying so if that's the only way i would say that's the danger um however it's like like my like the uh, my professor said is yeah anytime you're engaging with scripture it's mm -hmm. a good thing and so um use use this as a personal devotion if you're using that as, as, a, as a tool for you oh keep doing that yeah um but don't let that don't let that be the only thing you do. Make sure that you are opening up the Bible um, and maybe even just reading the context of that, that, that passage would, would even be helpful, like just the whole chapter or, or uh, pericope or that small um, paragraph or whatever. Yeah. I, think, I think your point is well taken, that we can't limit ourselves to just one thing. If all we eat is a granola bar and that's all we ever eat, we're not really getting a very balanced diet. Our body's not going to function well. Uh, Romans tells us that creation itself testifies to who God is, that God can use anything. He used a donkey to talk to somebody. God can use everything to bring us and draw us to closer to himself, but he's given us the word. He's given us the living, active, uh, sharper than a two-edged sword word. We have the living word in, in his son, Jesus Christ, and we have the written word in the scripture. And if I want to know Jesus personally, that's where I need that's where I should go. I can learn vicariously through what God has taught other people in devotions. But there's nothing, there's nothing like God speaking to me personally in the word. Mm. And I would just, uh, don't, don't cheat yourself out of that privileged place. Uh, yeah, I have opinions and they're strong ones, so I'll try to be, um, devotional books are great, but let me, I, I would put it this way. So you and your wife have a fight, or you and your husband have a fight, so your spouse writes you a five-page letter summarizing their point of view on this conflict, and they present you this letter. Now, if you've ever received a letter like that, just so you know, you're about to have a bad day. <laughs> then they come back to you the next week, they give you a week, and say, did you read my letter? And you say, you know what, you know, I got the letter, but it looked like a lot of words, so I read a marriage book instead. And so I think I've got some really good ideas about how we can navigate this relationship since I read um, Gary Chapman's Five Love Languages, and, uh, which is a great book, right? And what's the spouse going to say? They're not going to say anything, but it's going to hurt, right? Because <laughs> I wrote you something. So that's kind of what I would say is we should read devotional books because it provides us some insights into how to properly apply and think through the text of Scripture. Uh, but, boy, there is no substitute for, for reading the Bible. So I have opinions. I don't know if this is one of the tips. 20 minutes a day, five days out of seven. Can you pull that off? Boy, real, real muted response. <laughs> How am I going to get through all my Netflix list if I'm reading the Bible 20 minutes a day? Because you know, I've got the group, and somebody in here is going, you're not reading seven days a week, harumph. You can do this all the time. I like the idea of having it in the car. If, read your, listen to your scripture and pray in your car. Keep your eyes open. Yeah. Um, yeah, put, it on a, put it on your phone while you're uh, getting ready in the morning, while you're eating breakfast. Put it on the Bluetooth speaker in your stereo. Throw on your headphones while you're at work. If you've got something that it allows you to listen to stuff at work, throw it on your headsets while you're, uh, while you're at work. These are all really good ways uh, to do it. But yeah, there's really no substitute for Scripture. I would, make sure, I would make a decision to have an intentional habit around reading Scripture and then supplement that with devotional uh, reading. And then somebody asked, how do you know if a devotional uh, book is actually biblical? Real easy. Read lots of Bible. 
<laughs> then when you read your devotional book and it's not right, you say, wait, I read the Bible, you're an idiot. And then you throw it away. And, that's, and it's real easy that way. Or send Todd an email. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, get ready. Um, really good uh, stuff. Um, okay, uh, I think we're going to wrap it up. So we're going to go through the panel just very, very quickly. We've gone way longer. We plan to be much shorter, and we're terrible at that. So give us your three tips in each of your areas. Start with Todd stewardship. Just briefly give us your tips on what these looks like when it comes to your area that we talked about. Yeah, I think for, the, for stewardship, uh, again, the first thing is just starting to view your possessions uh, and your life as Christ's, not your own. Um, that's step one. I think if we have that, we can, then you can move into deeper things uh, with, with your relationship with Christ. Um, then I would say spend some time in prayer um, on how God wants you to use your time, talent, and, talents, and treasures. Um, what, and, and I think through prayer, that's going to that's gonna help identify maybe those areas of my third point is, is that's going to help you identify the areas of your life that you might be holding on to, um, to like with a closed fist and not allowing God to just, or allow you to invest in kingdom's work through your time, talents, and treasures. Yeah, so. Great, great, great ideas. Seth. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> mine real quick are sing, physically engage, and pick one line. I'll go through those real quick. So the great thing about worship as a habit is that most of the hard part is already done. Most of you show up every Sunday anyway. So like showing up and not engaging in worship is like going to the gym, staring at the weights and hoping you get swole. Like you've got to pick up the weights. You've got you've to actually do something. Um, so singing, there's incredible power in words. I think there's a reason that scripture says God created by words. He could have created by just thinking, but he specifically spoke words. And so when you speak words, words turn thought into reality. So when you say that, you actually, oh, shoot, now I have to actually believe that because now I'm a liar if I don't believe what I'm saying. The second is, is physically engaged. And I think that, like we were saying earlier, our emotional engagement follows the physical engagement. Just like with working out, I don't want to work out, but the physical engagement of actually committing to do it, my emotions will eventually follow. And so I think there is something important. There's a lot of times up here, I hope you guys know, I am not always like super connected to the Lord. I will raise my hands in worship and I'll have a smile on my face and I am like, what is for lunch? I'm starving. I don't even know the words I'm singing right now. But I'm posturing myself in a way to train myself that this is what the Lord asks of me and I'm going to be faithful and I'm going to do this and I'm going to help others also engage in worship because it's my duty as well as is all of yours to be helping your neighbor, helping your brother and your sister engage with what the Lord is doing. And finally, if you're struggling with all of that, pick one line. Often, I'll, if it's a song you don't like, just find one line to go, you know what, that, I need to be reminded of that truth of scripture um, and I'm just, I'm just going to meditate on that line. I'm not even going to sing the rest of this song. I'm just going to think about that one line, that one truth that I need to hear, or maybe somebody else needs to hear that's on my mind, and I'll spend my time in worship instead praying for somebody else. That's an absolutely amazing and valid and wonderful way to engage in worshiping the Lord. I'm going to add two things to that so you don't get in trouble. I do. Uh, number one, one of the things that you might, help, might help you engaging in singing a lot of the songs we sing a lot, we, we repeat those because we want them to be you to be familiar with them. You will find yourself more connected with what you're singing if you can, over time, take your eyes off the lyrics screen. If, because it allows you, because most of these songs you already know. So one of the things is start making a habit of looking at the worship team. Or if you know the, the song, pull your eyes off of the lyrics, and now it's, it's going to uh, engage your heart more and your mind more. 
And so that's one way to do it. And now we're going to pick on the live streamers. I have a lot of folks, for health reasons and others, that they live stream from home. So we want to make sure we are equal opportunity offenders. <laughs> Maybe we don't turn the live stream on at 10.55 when we, the message is starting. Maybe we turn it on at 10.30 and here's going to be some awkward living rooms. Get up out of your chair and sing with the live stream. There's like three people in the room and you got because you're missing something. It's not for us. We can't see it. But you're missing an opportunity in your living room to engage with worship. You say, well, that's going to be weird. I'm sorry. But, but this is a habit. You're missing an opportunity to worship um, God. And, and we want live stream to be an op option. But, but, but if you're coming in just for the message, we, my view is you've missed a lot of opportunity to engage with your Savior. So see, Seth, you didn't have to say it. All right, Pat, you get the last word on this. Okay. Um, very simply, we need to be intentional. The woman brought intentionally an alabaster jar. Did she know what she was going to do? I don't know, but she was prepared to come to meet with Jesus. We need to be intentional about reading the Scripture and praying regularly. And when we read the Scripture, we need to intentionally look for those times when our God has, through his mercy, forgiven us. And then through his grace, we can be thankful that we have a relationship, and we can use that as the basis for our prayer. Um, when we see how freely he's given to us, then we, like the woman, can be lavish in our demonstration of our love for him by reading the scripture and by praying. Um, in summary, we need to express our love for him uh, in prayer because of the relationship that's been available to us, perhaps more about him than about us and our need, needs and our requests. Hmm. All right. Can we thank the panel? Would you mind? Why don't you stand up with me, and we're going to close in prayer. And uh, God, we just thank you for the opportunity you give us to worship you uh, here in this place. Someday we're going to stand in your presence, and we will worship you. Uh, beholding all of your glory and the splendor of your kingdom and in this place and in this time is the only time we're going to have an opportunity to worship you with all of the difficulties and obstacles and challenges. This is the time where we can say in spite of how I'm feeling and in spite of the challenges and obstacles, I'm going to dedicate myself uh, to, to having my life shaped and conformed to the image of my Savior. So Lord, I pray that you would Move us in that way, and, and you would show us the ways in which we can make uh, intentional habits and decisions about how our life can be an act of worship to you. And uh, we thank you for your grace uh, towards us. We look forward to when you come back. Until that day, Lord, make us faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Good to see you. See you next week. <laughs>